All right, if you have your Bibles or your Bible app or however you're going to do. (laughs) Please open with me to the book of Acts. (laughs) I'll take it. Yeah, I mean, I didn't write it, so it's exciting. I can just say, woo! The name of this series that we are in is called The Spirit-Filled Church. Now, if you're newer to Heritage, you might notice that we spend quite a bit of time in series, but not necessarily topical or themed ones. Occasionally we do, but most of the time we we go through one of the books of the Bible. And that's because the Bible we let the Bible speak for itself and it leads to a we lead to more spiritual formation. And we end up not skipping over things or just writing our own favorite themes. Right? Uh, last, I mean, we, you, when we stick to the book, we we'll, 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 we're, we got to cover everything from martyrdom to miracles. <laughs> and our purpose in looking at the book of Acts is really to say we're coming at it with a template of a question. What is, what is the spiritual church? We want to know what, did it, what, what it meant so that we can live what it means. And even if we're familiar with the book of Acts, we, that we can read it afresh under the, the light, the illuminating light of the Holy Spirit and trust that regardless, He will continue to impress upon us principles and truths that, that are not only true for the church, but true for our homes and our hearts. If you do, this, this also means... You, there you go. Very, like a conductor. All right. So let's read. We're, we're going to open our Bibles to the book of Acts, and let's go to Acts chapter 1. Uh-huh. Yeah, I figured it's been a while. Let's just start over. <laughs> I can't tell you. You know when we finished Revelation how many people said, can you just start over and do it again? And I, I, I was tempted to. Maybe we'll do it again. Should we do it again? Yeah. We need it. I wasn't here. <laughs> I knew it. That's the nature. The nature of our church and the nature of this setup is it's a risk for me to throw a question out there. <laughs> I know it. You've got to be fast on your feet up here. <laughs> Acts chapter 1, though, we're going to just look at a, 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 a companion passage. Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 is the, well, it's, I, it is. It is, it is hermeneutically, it's the theme verse, really, for the text. Yeah. So here's what Jesus says to his disciples. But you will receive power. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Usually people like that part, so I'll let you respond. And you will be my witnesses. Telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Acts chapter 8, beginning at verse 1. Saul was one of the witnesses, and he agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. A great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem, and all the believers, except the apostles, were scattered 
through the regions of Judea and Samaria. Did you hear what just happened so far in chapter 8? Luke just is telling us it's an echo of 1-8. One, of, of one so 8-1 is continuing from 1-8. Jerusalem and Judea, and now, ta-da. Now, verse 2 is a parenthetical statement. Some devout men came and buried Stephen with great mourning. Uh, that, that's an important parenthetical statement, except, especially for us when we want to remember that. Um, uh, you, you, it was not good or honorable to leave anyone unburied, but because Stephen was, was killed, executed as a criminal, it would have been improper, even unlawful, to, uh, to mourn, to publicly mourn for a criminal. But what we see is that, that good men stand up and do the right thing for a friend. Good people stand up and do what's right, even if other people say, hey, we do what's right. It's always right to do what's right. You know, that's why they call it the right thing. They call it the right thing because it's always the right thing to do. We, these are just little little nuggets that remind us that this that the spirit filled church does the right thing. Yeah, so good. Now, verse three. But Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church. He went from house to house, dragging out both men and women to throw them into prison. But the believers who were scattered preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. Yeah, Philip, for example, went to the city of Samaria. That's right. We go, what? Samaria? And he told the people there about the Messiah. Crowds listened intently to Philip because they were eager to hear his message and see the miraculous signs he did. What? Many evil spirits were cast out, screaming as they left their victims. And many who had been paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. A man named Simon had been a sorcerer there for many years. Amazing people, the people of Samaria, and claiming to be someone great. Everyone from the least to the greatest often spoke of him as the great one, the power of God. They listened closely to him because because for a long time he had astounded them with his magic. But now the people believed Philip's message about the good news concerning the kingdom of God, the dominion of heaven, the reign of the Spirit in Jesus Christ, and the name of Jesus Christ. As a result, many men and women were baptized. Then Simon himself believed and was baptized. That's what happens when you believe. You get baptized. If you believe, you get baptized. If you don't get baptized, you're telling me. You said it. <laughs> See, Pastor Young, fill out a thing, get in the water. It's warm. We'll plug it in. It's warm water. It's wonderful. <laughs> then Simon himself, even was baptized, he began following Philip wherever he went, and he was amazed by the signs and the great miracles Philip performed. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that the people of Samaria, Samaria had accepted God's message, They sent Peter and John there. As soon as they arrived, they prayed for these new believers to receive the Holy Spirit. 
The Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them, for they'd only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John laid their hands on these believers, and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given, when the apostles laid their hands on people, he offered them money to buy this power. Let me have this power too, he exclaimed, so that I lay hands on people, they'll receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter replied, oh boy. Peter gets upset when people say things about the Holy Spirit or, 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 or dishonor him. Last time this happened, someone died. <sighs> Peter. But Peter replied, you know, you can get saved and sanctified, and yet your personality, even though it's sanctified, still remains. Is this the same guy that whacked off that guy's ear with a sword? May your money be destroyed with you, he said, for thinking God's gift can be bought. For you have no part in this, for your heart's not right with God. Repent of your wickedness and pray to the Lord. Perhaps he'll forgive your evil thoughts. For I can see that you are full of bitterness, bitter jealousy and are held captive by sin. Pray to the Lord for me, Simon explained, that these terrible things won't, you said won't happen to me. After testifying and preaching the word of the Lord in Samaria, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem and they stopped in many Samaritan villages along the way to preach the good news. The Spirit-filled church has power to be His witness even in Samaria. Their and ours. Their Samaria was a place called Samaria. Yours is some area. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Power to be his witness, we see in the text here. Last week, power to be his witness, with the witness is the root word for the same word for witness as martyr. We saw last week the power to be his witness meant being willing to die. The power to be his witness meant martyrdom. This week we're reminded that power to be his witness means miracles. Somebody say miracles. Luke begins by reminding us of this guy, Saul. Saul was one of the witnesses, and he agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. And, but he said a great, a great persecution began that day, sweeping over the church. Saul was a witness. He set out, and then Luke tells us that Saul set out after this to destroy the church. And he went from house to house. I know that because it's so... On one hand, it's so far far removed, and on the other hand, it may seem familiar because we've read the text that we read that and we go, oh, yeah, and then you know, we, wanna, we turn the page and we want to go to the next story. We want to see another angel story or something cool, but so let's slow down and read this. Paul, Saul, set out to destroy the church. Destroy it. And then he was going from house to house, dragging out men and women throw them in prison to await trial and potentially execution. Do you feel 
Can you feel that? The, 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 how intense, how fearful, how all the unknowns that people might have felt. You get the idea that some people might have turned to one another and said, you think we're in the end times? <laughs> Probably called Bab. Hey, are we in the end times? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I already answered that. Yes, uh, we have been. Uh, so, it's, yes, they were in the end times. And, but he says, but here's the deal. A great wave of persecution swept over the church. In other words, whatever was happening before this was minor. This was a big deal. Persecution means something. It's, it's, and Luke uses it in a new way here. It's the first time it's used in this way. Persecution means to harass someone in order to attempt to persuade them to forego or let go of their religious beliefs, or it's simply to attack someone for having religious beliefs. That's persecution. And Luke said that a great wave, I want you to hear that, a great wave sweeps over the whole church, the whole city of Jerusalem. And in that great wave, it displaces, it, it pushes the believers out. And they and, and, and it, it, that, that wave would intend to drown them and overcome them and destroy them. But here's Luke. But, but the believers who were scattered preached the good news about Jesus everywhere they went. Great persecution caused a great scattering and a forced spreading of the church. But they did not change the subject. This great wave of fear and violence and threat did not persuade them to change the subject. They simply carried the subject with them. This is the spirit-filled church. Scold us, and we will shrug. Threaten us, and we will gather and pray. Kill us, spread like fire. Persecution is not really our enemy. Persecution has always been painful, but it has never been successful. Seduction has been far more effective. Seduction has been far more effective at cooling our devotion and hindering our witness. I'd be more afraid of seduction than persecution. I choose neither. <laughs> Luke tells us that the believers were scattered in every direction, but he has an agenda and a story that he's following that he sets out for us in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. So he says, Philip, New Living says, for example, meaning there were more people doing this, but Philip, for example, went to the city of Samaria and told them about the Messiah. Now, if we're reading this, and we're, I know we're Theophilus, so that's a Greek name. It's probably got some Greek mindset, but he probably was aware that this, that this guy, even though he has a Greek name, he's part of a Jewish church, and he goes to Samaria. When, he re when we read that, we're supposed to gasp. So Philip went to Samaria. Good job. What? Samaritans and Jews had a long history of ethnic and religious conflict. It is long, it's painful, it's unfair, it's a little ugly. We don't need to go into it today. Just know that 
this is a group of people that uh, had, had ethnic and religious conflict that was bigoted and sometimes often violent that led to division, mistrust, and even hatred. It's a good thing we don't have any of that around. But this is the Spirit-filled church. We do not measure others according to grudges or hurts or history. The Spirit-filled church measures others according to hope. We tell folks as they come in, we remind our team, our staff, whoever comes in those doors gets the same hope treatment. Samaritans believed Moses, they, they worshipped Yahweh, and, and they believed that uh, a, a Messiah, Christ, was coming. Now, there was some secretism there. there was, they weren't flawless, but, of course, neither were their counterparts. They believed that what the, the, in a Messiah they called the Restorer. He would be a, more of a, less a militant, more a teacher and a lawgiver, and that he would bring restoration. And Philip comes and says that Jesus is the Christ. He's the Messiah. He's the Restorer. And I've got good news Jesus is the restorer. And so verse 6 says, Crowds listened intently to Philip because they were eager to hear his message and see the miraculous signs he did. Hold up. Who is this guy? Uh, First, it was Steve who sold insurance. And now, and Steve, turns out, does signs and wonders, speaks with wisdom, face glows like an angel, sees visions of heaven, and gives his life in grace for Christ. Steve. Now Phil. Phil owns an auto body shop. Good money. He's got a couple of trick cars on the side. Phil. The thing about Phil is he always wears his auto body shirt, so he always says Phil right there. All of his shirts just say Phil. Phil. Hey, Phil. Love that guy. And Phil is in Samaria telling, yeah, telling people that Jesus is the Christ. And the Lord is working miracles through Phil as he witnesses about Jesus. Who's Phil? Phil is the usher. Phil is the volunteer at church who was persecuted but kept preaching. And he happily witnessed about Jesus Christ to people who did not even like him. Phil is you. You have, come on, you got the same Holy Ghost. Same Holy Ghost on Peter, same Holy Ghost on you. Same Holy Ghost on Steve, same Holy Ghost on you. Same Holy Ghost on Phil, same Holy Ghost on you. You have the same 
the same spirit and the same mission, the same assignment. He went to Samaria. Your job is to go to... That's right. Your job is to go to... The Holy Spirit will work through your life to show others that God has made this Jesus both Lord and Christ. Now, you may be hesitant in... Uh, uncomfortable with or even disinterested in miracles. Or you may be desperate for them. Either way, friends, there is no Bible or a gospel void of power. Now, here now it gives us some examples. Verse 7, many evil spirits were cast out, screaming as they left their victims. I'm running a little bit shy on schedule uh, this service, but I got, I, it's important that we hear this again. Many evil spirits were cast out um, uh, and screaming as they left their victims. Would you all say victims? This is important for us to hear because um, uh, growing up, perhaps, uh, you might have been like us, uh, uh, it, it, when we talk about demonization or people being affected by unclean spirits, it has... I don't know when it started, but <clears throat> oftentimes uh, there, is a, there is a degree or a significant degree of shame attached to that person's condition. Uh, like it's their fault. Now, it, they very well may have exercised poor choices. There may have been all kinds of things involved in their life. But uh, from last I checked, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So everybody has everybody everybody's already crossed that line. But you'll see that Jesus never treated... Those who were demonized, uh, he only treated those who were demonized as victims. Victims. He didn't treat them any differently than those who were sick. Well, shame on you for being sick. No, that's a, that happened in 2020. We started shaming people. Oh, anyway. Ooh, low-lying fruit, low-lying fruit. Just sitting there, had to swing. <laughs> this is why I make notes, so I stick to them. But... So we don't shame people for being sick, right? And we don't shame people for being oppressed. They are victims. Yeah, there can be repentance and there will be healing. That happens. But people are victims and what they need is a deliverer and his name is Jesus. Many evil spirits were cast out and many who had been paralyzed or lame were healed. Luke gives us these two examples of miracles and they were miracles of exorcism and healing. These are the works of Jesus, and they are the influence. They are the influence, the assurance of the age to come, and they remain staples in gospel ministry. People need to be delivered from oppressive spirits and healed of affliction. And when that happened, as unclean spirits were driven off of people and they were set free from that oppression and they were restored and they were, their, their brokenness and their pain was, 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 was restored and they were healed, Luke, Luke tells us, verse 8, So there was great joy in that city. Woo! That's worth saying out loud, everybody. So there was great joy in that city. We'll say it again. There was great joy in that city. That is the result of miracles. Yeah. Great joy. There was not great joy when people were suffering and tormented. 
There's no joy in that. That's oppression and misery. But the gospel of Jesus Christ confronts human suffering with powerful compassion now as a demonstration of the hope that is laid up for us in heaven. The gospel gives great joy. And it is God's will for the Spirit-filled church to have power to be His witness in such a way as to bring great joy to every city. That might be a great little sea law for you to write down somewhere in your notes as you think about your city, whatever suburb you're a part of. The God's will, you look around, you look around, and I know it can seem, look around, you know what God's will is for this place? Great joy. Mm. It's a lot better than praying, Lord, I just get them. Say, Lord, do something about this city. Well, I intend to give it great joy. (laughs) All right, interlude, verse 9. Here comes an interlude, a guy who kind of pops in for the sake of illustration, the significance of what's going on. A man named Simon had been a... Harry Potter was there. I finally get to talk about Harry. (laughs) So old, (laughs) old Harry lives there in Samaria. Flying on his broom around Samaria, <laughs> claiming to be somebody great. And people believed it, but, and they thought, this guy is great. But then Philip showed up and started doing miracles, and they said, no, no, this other thing is great. Yeah. Like the Egyptian wise men and Moses. Yeah. This was pretty great, but that's great. Yeah. As a result of Philip's ministry, of course, many men and women are, are, are believe and are baptized. And then Simon himself, it says, believes and is baptized. And then Simon begins to follow him. Now, this is not the last time that Luke is going to reference uh, magic in the book of Acts. Um, And it's it's not an accident, and it is important because Luke is acknowledging that people did and do uh, try to manipulate their world. Magic is a way of coping with our world. And they, try, and, and, and they would, back then, of course, magic was simply trying to use formulas or incantations or whatever they could do to try to gain power without being accountable to any power. And it was a way that people would try to cope with this life or try to, to, uh, to gain influence over other people. But what we see is that in the midst of this, in, this, in the midst of this, uh, of this culture that's trying to do everything it can to cope with life through inventions of its own power and get control over other people, the gospel comes and it is totally different. Miracles are not magic. Miracles are not the result of special knowledge. They are not the result of, of just the right co- combination of words. Are you hearing me, Christian church? Well, I must, maybe I need to pray it a different way. No, miracles aren't magic. They're not manipulation. They are not here just for you to cope with this life. They are to remind you that there is more to this life. There is a life to come. And that there is someone to whom we do submit and we will be accountable. 
Magic manipulates, but miracles give hope. Now, power to be his witness means miracles, and it also means, in this text, it means the gift of the Spirit. Verse 14, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that the people of Samaria had accepted God's message, they sent Peter and John there as soon as. Would you say those three words? As soon as. That's that's soon. As soon as they arrived, they prayed for these new believers to receive the Spirit. The Spirit had not yet come. Then Peter and John laid their hands on them, and they received the Spirit. We need to pause here and see what Luke is telling us, that as soon as these apostles arrive, they stop and pray. That What happens is, apparently, the Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of these Samaritan believers. They had believed, they had been baptized, but yet they had not received the Spirit. You might ask the question, hey, yeah, why didn't Philip lead them into this gift? I don't know. But we, we don't know, and Luke really isn't even interested in telling us. It's not his point. His point seems to be showing us the urgency and the importance of receiving the Spirit. Because apparently it is possible to have good church, and there's still more. They'd already had, how many think they'd already had good church? I mean, miracles, deliverance, and baptism. That'll fill a house. That's good church. And the apostles did not come and say, well, you've had good church. Good for you. That's all, that's all you need. No, they said, that's all great, but you, this is important. Yes. See, friends, Jesus Christ was introduced in all four of the Gospels as the one who would baptize in the Spirit. Jesus Christ was not introduced as the one who would come and tell good stories. He was not introduced as a teacher, as a parable alert. John the Baptist said, one is coming after me, and this is how you'll know him. He is more powerful than I am, and he will baptize you in the Holy Spirit. To John, this is why Jesus is coming. So if we believe upon the Lord Jesus for the forgiveness of sins and all of those wonderful things, and we we, we forfeit or, dis, or, or neglect receiving the gift of the Spirit. We're missing, in terms of John's opinion, the reason Jesus came. It's, there's an urgency and there's an importance to this. Sharing the gospel absolutely means that we share the gift of the Spirit. Not only is it important and urgent, but we see that it was evident. The apostles knew that the Samaritans had not yet received the Spirit. Doesn't tell us, he doesn't specify here how they knew. I think the text tells us as we look through the whole book, but that's not the point today. The point is that there is a difference. There is a difference. They knew that they had not yet received the Spirit. That tells us how significant the Spirit is. He is not just an explanation, He is an experience. There is a difference difference the gift of the spirit is important to god because you're important to god he is the he is this the he is the promise of the father there is a difference and it is the difference that the apostles would not abide and it is a difference that we cannot afford 
And then after Peter and John prayed, everyone knew that they did receive the Spirit. They knew that they hadn't, and they knew that they did. This goes back, we say, we got to say it again. Receiving the Spirit is not an explanation. It is an experience. So much so, verse 18, when Simon saw that the Spirit was given, when the apostles laid their hands on them, he offered, he wanted to buy that. Simon saw the Spirit was given. And when he saw that, he said, I want to buy that. Hey, Simon had already seen some pretty cool stuff. Simon had already, I mean, twice we are told Simon saw these miracles. He saw the lame walking. He saw those who were tormented by evil spirits get free. He saw people surrender their life to the Messiah and be baptized in water. He saw really great stuff. And all that did was want to make him follow Jesus and follow Philip. But But this, he saw something else. So what he saw here was different and even more blessed, more beautiful than what he saw before. Something about what he saw captured his heart in such a way he wanted to buy it. And then Peter's response, may your money be destroyed with you. You might think that sounds pretty harsh. Uh, it was more harsh than that. Uh, my, my very sweet, kind uh, uh, Baptist per New Testament professor with a smirk on his face, Dr. K, who would deny it if he were here because he doesn't want to get in trouble. He, he looked around the class and he said, he said, he said, guys, this is what he actually said was, you and your money go to hell. Yeesh, Pete. <laughs> Peter's response may shock the reader, but it's, it, it, we have to understand that Peter is hearing someone express that they think that this marvelous gift of the Holy Spirit can somehow be bought. And that should shock us into ever thinking that we can or should try to earn the gift of the Spirit. You can't buy him. You can't earn him. Don't stand around and say, well, I don't know if I deserve this. You don't. Uh, the Holy Spirit is not a reward for your good behavior. He's the source of every good behavior. He's not a reward. He is the response of Jesus' victory on your behalf. <laughs> He's the gift of God, and this gift has already been paid for. Simon does seem to repent, and church tradition isn't sure if he really does or not. And it's, it's, it, that's kind of an interesting story, but it's not much because Luke doesn't really pause. to The echo of the story isn't about Simon. The echo of the story is about the significance and the urgency and the sacredness of the gift of the Spirit. That this gift of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, is for us all. He cannot be earned. He is not waiting for us to deserve him or to trade or to negotiate. But above above all the things that the Lord wants to do for you, he wants to pour out his spirit upon your life. This is God's idea, God's desire, and his great delight to give you his spirit.
power to be his witness. Not only in the ministry of miracles, but even more importantly, in the sharing of the Holy Spirit. After testifying, verse 25, after testifying and preaching about the Lord in Samaria, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem, but they stopped in many Samaritan villages along the way to preach the good news. I don't know that that's necessar- this is necessarily Luke's point. He does want us to know that Peter and John continue to share. But listen, here's what I think is terrific, uh, is that they would never have continued to, 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 to preach along those Samaritan villages had Philip not been willing to go to his Samaria. What kingdom, life-changing, city-changing opportunities await for you and your Samaria. The same Spirit is upon you to be His witness in your Samaria. Power to be His witness means miracles. I mean, we see in the text, miracles are, 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 are not excluded. They're not for the exclusive. They're not, and they're not, uh, nobody is left out, and there's not a special crowd. They're God's idea to confirm and to communicate the hope of our salvation, and they produce joy. And they, for our, they are for us to receive and to share. Power to be His witness means that we receive and share the gift of the Holy Spirit. And this gift is absolutely urgent. And it's for everyone. And this gift is real. And this gift is free. The same spirit is for you and for our Samaria. Can we stand together? Let's wait upon the Lord for just a moment.
questions that we can respond to the Lord to. My first thing is, let me encourage you just to ask the Holy Spirit to anoint you afresh for your Samaria. The Lord would use you in grace and power sharing the name of Jesus Christ. Every one of you has a Samaria somewhere. Lord, there is a city that needs great joy. There is a community, there's a neighborhood, there's a household that needs your joy. Do you use us, Lord, in the mighty name of Jesus? because it's your idea your desire for us Lord we say thank you and amen as we receive friends as we as you're prepared to leave today if you are someone who needs a miracle in your own life or your family we want to pray with you and for you so I just want to say this I'm going to just leave the front open our musicians are going to continue to minister to the Lord if you need a miracle we want to pray with you and for you today believe Jesus wants to bring great joy to you as well. If you need a miracle, let's pray. Right down here at the front, we'll wait for you. Otherwise, the Lord bless you. Be kind to someone on your way out today and find your kids. God bless you so much.